Good morning, everyone. It's me again, just in a different place, in the same space. Glad to be with you this morning. Um, once again, no one is here to laugh at my jokes, so I just trust that you're all rolling in hysteria as I go about doing what I do. Uh, it's a, a blessing to you to be present, in a sense, with you all by the Spirit of God who unifies His church, who keeps His church, uh, who is guiding His church, who's preserving her at this time um, as He sees fit and according to His perfect will. There's just such a sense of, of comfort, and I want to just say as I begin, grace and peace to you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, who is our great rock been in a season of a series previously before this all began a few weeks back, and so we called an audible, and um, I want to continue just in that kind of audible vein this morning until it seems fit, and I, I think as leaders, there is always the, the line that we walk aware of the fact that there still are people who are adjusting, finding a, a rhythm to their life, who have not found it to be completely settling as of yet, um, perhaps feeling just anxious even in, in various ways of your life. And as I begin this morning, I really feel like what I want to do today by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, is um, call the church from a space of needing to be faith-filled to a place of being faithful. And I'm going to unpack what I mean by that here um, as we go along, but I believe that the Lord is calling His church to something in this time, and I believe that it is up to us as believers with, who have the Spirit of God within us, who, who follow in step with the Holy Spirit, to determine what it is that He's saying, and that's really what I began with two weeks ago. What is our response when things like this happen? It's our responsibility as believers and as His church to seek to understand what God is about. And last week, Rick spoke just so wonderfully on the certainty that is Christ Jesus and presented the gospel so well as an anchor to our hearts. And this morning, what I would like to do is I want to call the church to action. I want to remind us this morning, as the church, what it is that we're called to do. Are we called to, to be back-footed, to be uh, uh, on our heels in moments of uncertainty, or perhaps have we been called to something greater? And it's that something greater that I want to look at this morning. So you have your Bibles. I'm going to begin by using a text to launch into the topic this morning that adversity is necessary. Adversity is necessary. This is not probably advisable in terms of church growth messages. However, I think it's absolutely practical uh, for today's application, and I believe that the Lord will speak to us again as His church, calling us to what we're called to. Adversity is necessary, so open your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians. Again, this is just going to be my launching text. Um, I'm not necessarily going to unpack this whole text, but I believe that the Lord is going to use it to encourage our hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. And I love the way that verse 3 begins as Paul opens his second letter to the Corinthian church. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies 
and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul doesn't begin by telling them why they should bless his name. He begins by reminding them that that is our posture. Our posture is to bless the name of the Lord. And then Paul says why? That we are comforted, Paul says. He is the God of comfort who comforts us. So that, and this is really, I want you to underline this or highlight this in your Bibles this morning. So that we would be a comfort. And Paul says not just the comfort perhaps of our own wisdom. No, Paul says that we would be a comfort with the same comfort that we have received ourselves from God. And I believe that what Paul is giving us here is a very, a very faithful template as believers to walk through these times in which we live. To bless the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us, that we would be comforted so that we might comfort those with the same comfort. And I want to begin by making this statement to you this morning as it pertains to the title of today's message, which is that, that the adversity is necessary. And I want to say this to you this morning, that this is how it was always meant to be. So often, the conversations that we find ourselves in at this time is, when will this end? When will things return to normal? When will we get back that semblance of, you know, of comfort that we had before, comfort from the world, systems and perspective, of course. When will we be there once again? I want to say to you this morning, church, this is how God has always intended it to be. Adversity is necessary in God's economy. These trials, the adversity, the sufferings, the affliction that we ourselves experience, and of course that we see in the world around us, all of those are within God's redemptive story for humanity. It was always meant to be the way it is today. Beginning all the way back in Genesis 3 and until the end in Revelation. Adversity is what the church experiences. Never has he been a God who plucks his people out of the middle of something to avoid difficulty that they might have to endure. He's never been that way. Rather, what has he been? He has always been a God who makes the way through. The one who preserved by an ark. The one who provided the ram in the bush for Abraham. The one who parted the sea for his people. The one who guided his people through the wilderness amongst their enemies. And who provided the perfect spotless lamb as the sacrifice. This is the God who we follow. This is the God who guides us, who cares for us, who sees his people through, who provides staying power for those whom he has called and cares for. This is God's plan. He's never been one to remove, rather to see through. So again, I say to you, this is how it has always been intended to be. And why is this the case? Why is it that God is such that rather than removing and keeping from harm or keeping from having to endure, instead He makes the way through? 
throughout the Old Testament as He reveals Himself to Israel as their God. And He confirms them as His people. And the prophet Ezekiel would prophesy in chapter 36 of Ezekiel that the reason that God is such, that the reason that this is the way that God's economy works is because it maximizes God's exposure and brings the most glory unto His name. That is what God has always been about. For the sake of His name, He says. For the sake of My name, you will be My people. For the sake of My name, I will be your God. For the sake of My name, I will keep you. And He says to the He says to the Israelites in the wilderness, for years you walked and never did your foot blister, nor did your shoes wear out. He's a God who makes the way through. So there's a close relationship between trials and the working out of salvation within our own lives. We know this as believers. Scripture is rife with this point. With experiencing suffering and somehow the conforming of our lives into Christ-likeness. That is the means by which God brings these things about in our life. But I want to say this this morning. Just as significant as that is in the life of a believer, to understand that that it's the pressure, that it's the refiner's fire that conforms and transforms, so too there is a connection between adversity and trials within the world and the forward progress of God's kingdom. Not only does He use adversity in our lives as believers to bring about His desired will, but He uses adversity in the world itself to see the advancement of the kingdom. And this is what Paul is speaking about, that we would comfort those with the same comfort that we have received. We are comforted so that we might. These trials are happening around us so that the church might comfort. This is the response today that I want to call us to. Please allow yourself to receive this morning by the Spirit of God. And so I resolved as I was thinking about this, that difficulty, the testing, hardship, the suffering, all of them are God-given, are a God-given vehicle for the advancement of the gospel, both within ourselves as well as the world that is around us. But I ask myself this, what is it about faith and adversity that makes them such an ideal pairing? I think we would much rather at times find it that not be the case. And I was thinking about this, as a farmer begins to plant, what must he do before he sows? He tills the ground. He prepares the ground. He agitates the ground of which he's going to sow within. He pulls the weeds. That is what the fallow soil is. The opportunity for God to do the most in adversity is the greatest. When we are the weakest, He is the strongest. When the ground has been made fallow, when it has been tilled and the topsoil has been turned, when the weeding occurs, then it is ready for the seed to be planted. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Adversity is the tilling of the ground so that the gospel seed would take root. And in fact, in the parable of the sower, it's that very thing that that it did not take root. Because the seed did not take root, 
It was choked out by the weeds. It's the tilling that creates the root to take. This is why faith and adversity go hand in hand. And, and, and we know this, again, in the life of believers. I don't know that there's anyone else that's more poised to endure adversity than the life of a Christian. It's part, it's, it's Christianity 101, or at least it ought to be. Perhaps it's taught less and less these days. Adversity is necessary. It was, it was necessary for Burgess Meredith to die in Rocky III so that Sylvester Stallone could overcome Mr. T. It was necessary for Apollo Creed to die in Rocky IV so that Rocky could overtake the communist USSR and the, and the Russian Ivan Drago who will break him. That was Rocky's adversity. It was necessary for that in order for him to overcome. Perhaps a bad analogy. I don't know. You can judge for yourself. As a Christian, we're well aware that adversity and suffering were an identifying feature of Jesus' own earthly ministry. The suffering servant the Old Testament prophesied him as he spoke of it probably almost as often as it pertained to his own life. He lived it, and of course we know that he ultimately died of that suffering. But the trials and afflictions were not just meant to characterize Jesus alone. He told his disciples of what would become of them and how they too would have to suffer for his name. And that affliction and suffering were marks. Listen, affliction and suffering were marks of a true follower. Again, I say to you, I don't know that there is anyone better prepared for times like these than you and I today if our faith is in Christ Jesus. And like the twelve, it was also said that those who would come after them would be called to endure the difficulties of the Christian life that they would, which the Christian life would be earmarked by. And before Paul even gets his start, it's prophesied the Lord God says this in Acts chapter 9. He says this of Paul before his conversion, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Timothy would receive the same instruction from Paul when he would say to him, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then Paul would say to the Philippians that for the sake of Christ's name, we must not only believe in him, but we must also suffer for his sake. And on and on throughout Paul's letters is commenting after commenting of how the Christian life must suffer, how we must be prepared to suffer. It is within God's economy that he brings about his work through suffering and through adversity. And probably the most profound normalization of affliction for the Christian life found in the New Testament is that which is given by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says this, that these light and momentary afflictions, gosh, Paul, could you minimize something anymore? Could you minimize the most significant thing that I'm going through right now in my life by calling it light and momentary afflictions? But see, what Paul had was an eternal mindset. See, Paul saw beyond the moment. Paul saw beyond the suffering and the affliction, and he looked towards that which would one day be the glorification of his body. But again, we know all this, right? This is, this is the Christianity that we follow. We know that we have been called to suffer and again, for the Christian life, adversity and affliction should be, seen, should be seen as normal occurrences which accompany our life in Christ Jesus. But again, that's not what I'm talking about this morning in the sense of this. 
that, that as it pertains to the difficulties and adversity and trials in the world around us, do we see civic, do we see national, do we see global adversity as God allowed or even, dare I say, God ordained? Do we see it through that lens? Do we look at what is around us right now in this current cultural moment and do we see it as God tilling the soil? As the sower preparing ground that is fallow, that he would sow the seed. Yes, we know that sin's entrance into the world brought curses, of course, as Genesis tells us. And now we know that the entire earth and the world and creation, as we've said this in weeks past, is now just lives beneath the weight of sin that came through humanity. We know that. And so we know that things like natural disasters and pandemics and, and, and global matters oftentimes can be caused by sin. But if we believe in a God who is sovereign, if we believe in a God who holds all things in the palm of His hands and whom all things are for and through and by and ultimately unto, then we have to take a step back and see that all of these things, including sin's effects as sickness in a global pandemic, is also allowed by God that he might bring about his desired will. It was always meant to be like this, you guys. We must stop. It's okay to, to, to long for normalcy in the sense of come back to a, a healthy rhythm of life. That's okay. But let's not do that at the risk of missing what God is doing now. Let's dig in. The ground is prepared. What is God doing? What is the God doing? Do we see these national and global events as they truly are? Events always within the control and sometimes often orchestrated by a sovereign God who uses them to bring about His purposes of His kingdom and the mission of the gospel here on earth. See, this is where we have to focus our hearts today is in this. To be intent in times like these. To be intent to not just endure, but knowing, but fixed, but as Rick said last week, the certainty of who God is, that He is at work within all things, and therefore that we are believing and looking for the gospel-sowing moments. Because if we're seeing as this as an opportunity, then we'll be looking for those moments. If we're seeing this as simply as an adversity to endure, then all we are looking for is the other side of the moment. Let's not miss what God is doing right now. Adversity is the breeding ground of gospel impact and the ground zero of kingdom advancement. So when we're in it and when it's all around us within the world, the proper response of the Christian life should be to look for the opportunities that it provides. God uses crises. God uses crises to bring about His desired effects on humanity. When mankind is at its weakest, the chance for God to be seen as strong and the mighty one is the greatest. And as the saying goes, it is always darkest before the dawn. Listen, church, let me say to you today, there is work to be done. Paul would have easily left out that statement that we're comforted by the comfort that we have in Christ Jesus. Yes, that is true. 
But he put in that ever so important remark that we are comforted so that we might comfort those who are also in affliction. Church, there is work to be done right now. Do not miss the opportunity as the mandate to bring the gospel of peace, to bring the gospel of hope into a community and into your neighborhoods for those who so desperately need it. The ground is fallow in the hearts of men and women and it's time to sow some seed. What I want to do now for the rest of of just the time that I have you as my captive audience today is I want to give to you what I believe are, are three very common human responses to adversity that we encounter as believers. And in so doing, I I just want to remind us that that sowing gospel hope is a simple thing. When we encounter responses like these to trials and adversity, the response that we have as believers is simple. It's to speak what God has placed within you. It's to confess and profess what you know to be true as revealed by God's word of who God says that he is in these moments and who God says that those individuals whom you might be speaking to are as well. It's simple. It doesn't have to be this profound theological dissertation. It's simple. It's that the gospel brings hope, that Jesus Christ, the surety, the anchor, the certainty of our souls, lives and reigns today. So I want to give to you just three, as I said, common responses that often arise in moments of trial and adversity, but I want to maybe say it this way. What are, this is my question to you, what are three common gospel opportunities? That's how I want you to hear these this morning. Yes, they're man's responses, but what are three common gospel opportunities that arise when adversity is present in the world and in the lives of those around us? And perhaps maybe even in your own self, you're feeling and encountering some of these over the last couple of weeks. What are we hearing right now as we talk to friends and neighbors and colleagues and peers? What are they saying? Three common effects and responses to adversity in man's heart is this. The first is that adversity causes an awareness of one's own inability and weakness. Adversity causes an awareness of our inability and our weakness. The second response that we often see is this, that adversity results in experiencing a loss of control. People feel as though nothing is in control and therefore clamoring begins to happen for some semblance of holding on to things. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. And third, adversity causes fear due to uncertainty. I'll say them again. Adversity causes an awareness of our own ability, inability, and weakness. Adversity results in experiencing a loss of control and adversity causes fear due to uncertainty. Those are three common, simple gospel opportunities, church. That's what they are. Gospel opportunities. You and I are encountering these probably on a daily basis in some form or fashion. With the first, adversity causes an awareness of one's own inability and weakness. I would say this, nothing brings a greater Awareness of our own inability than when we're faced with a challenge that we cannot control. Suddenly we realize all the great things that we thought about ourselves are untrue. Many 
are currently faced with financial hurdles. That no amount of premeditated fiduciary insulation could stave off. There's nothing that could be done, no matter how well you plan, perhaps, for some of this. It's out of our control. Small business owners, self-employed individuals, and countless others are all faced with uncertainty of what the future holds and an acute awareness that there isn't much that you can do. Are you laughing at my statement of fiduciary insulation? <laughs> I'm get, that wasn't even a joke, but I'm getting some laughs here. Yeah, premeditated fiduciary insulation. That was a good one. That's not even the point. Don't miss the point of what I'm saying. Doesn't ha- doesn't matter how much financial planning. That's much simpler. How much financial planning you can make. There are times where things are out of our control. It's moments like these where people find themselves at, at the very ends of themselves and on the precipice of despair that we have the most opportunity, church. What does God say? What is the response of the hope that we have? God says this in Psalm 31, 24, be strong and let your hearts take courage. This is the promise, this is the hope of the gospel. Be strong and let your hearts take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, 29, just listen to these. I don't have them for you on your screens, but listen to to the words of Isaiah, he says this, this is a promise of the hope of the gospel. He says this in Isaiah, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. My gosh, is that not for right now? Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, for they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is a promise of the gospel, Isaiah 40, 29. This is our response, you guys. This isn't, again, this isn't some deep, you know, MDiv context here. This, This is just what the gospel promises to us. We speak what is true when the opportunities arise. What does James say? We know this one so well. We quote it to ourselves. We speak it to each other or or when our kids are complaining. What do we say to them? James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my children. Count it all joy, my brothers, James says, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Where is the hope in that? The hope is this, that it's not for naught. The hope in this moment is that God is doing something. And what James is saying is that at the very least, that as a believer, the testing of our faith produces something within us. And I would say the same principle in God's economy is also true for the world and for those that are outside of Christ Jesus. God is doing something. The message of hope is that we can endure with joy Because as I said earlier, what Paul looked towards is what we also look towards. And at the very least, we know that what God is doing is bringing something about within us. Nothing is meaningless, you guys. Nothing is meaningless. Nothing is wasted in God. Say that with me. Nothing is wasted in God. 
There is not a wasted moment in God's time. Nothing is wasted in God. All of it, the Bible teaches us, is working together towards God's ultimate perfect purpose and plan. So the gospel, when one's inability is shown, when weakness is seen through adversity, the gospel hope, the gospel message we speak is that in Christ Jesus, we remain strong. It's that in Christ Jesus, nothing is meaningless. It's that in Christ, your hope will not be let down. And what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 12? We we quote it so often that he says this in, in, in Paul speaking, grace is sufficient for you. And he's speaking of God. He says, his power is made perfect in weakness. When our weakness is revealed, God's power has the greatest opportunity. So adversity causes an awareness of one's inability, but also God's greatest ability. That is our response to the common human response of adversity. Secondly, adversity results in experiencing a loss of control. I spoke of this earlier. How many people just feel like things are out of control? I want to read for you um, a quote from a book um, written by Mark Sayers. If you're a part of Capital City Church, I've, I've mentioned this a few times. It's a wonderful book. He wrote it last year. And uh, in fact, if, if you happen to, to be on social media, I, I, I posted um, the bigger transcript on my Instagram a few days back. And he's, he's talking about how the, the, well, let me just read it for you and then I'll comment. He says this, this again, this was pre-COVID. Mark Sayer says this, the secularist life script in which humans attempt to live without having to confront the great questions of life creates insulation against faith. Grab onto that statement for a minute. The secularist life script in which humans attempt to live without having to confront the great questions of life creates insulation against faith. However, Insulation is not as secure as it may seem. We know this, right? And then he goes on to say, your lifestyle, your freedom, your approach to faith and meaning are shaped by large-scale factors. Factors that are out of, out of your control, which we assume to be stable and secure, but which, in reality, can suddenly change. And here we are, and in between those two comments, he speaks of, what if? a global pandemic were to take place again, killing millions like it did century ago. And here we are with that faced. These large-scale factors that we believe are within our control, that we think are stable, which we think are secure, really are not, and they can change on a dime. And what happens? People are left feeling as though things are spiraling out of control. And I would say this, this matter of control is, is essentially at the root of mankind's sin, that we somehow place ourselves where only God dwells. And this is why we see it as such a response to adversity in the unbelieving heart. It's because man's original sin was placing themselves where only God should be, as the, on the throne of our own hearts. And, and in so doing, we have made ourselves God and King of our own lives. And therefore, 
the masters of our own destinies and ultimately of our, we believe, of our, uh, uh, the master of our own outcome. We want to think that we control our own lives. We want to think that we determine our own destiny and fate, that we ultimately control the, the outcome of circumstance. And this was what existed in the garden in the beginning. The first humans, they would not be told nor controlled in what they would eat or experience. That was the lie that they bought. Currently, tens of millions of people are experiencing a loss of control in some form or fashion right now in the world. When we do, our human instinct is to grasp more tightly to the things that are around us. Buying up all the toilet paper. Buying up all the hand sanitizer. Buying up all the rice. Buying up stuff that doesn't even make sense to buy up so that the Martinez family has to drive all over town trying to find toilet paper. This is the response, though. This is what happens when people feel like things are out of control. They just start clamoring and grabbing things that are within their grasp to give them some semblance that things are going to be okay. I've got 45 packs of toilet paper. My family will have clean hineys for the next six months. Things are okay. They're going to be in control. But as God allows and sometimes orchestrates adversity within the world is precisely this truth that God is endeavoring to uncover. He brings about adversity to show humanity that no matter how hard they try, they cannot remain in control. They are not in control. It is not their place to be in control. And I believe that's the grace of God. Follow this with me for a moment. Adversity in the world is God's grace to humanity because it reveals himself as the great provider. It provides an opportunity for him to show that he is the one who is in control. Not, he doesn't do it either so that, so that mankind can squirm beneath his all-powerful thumb. He does it because he wants to reveal to some and he wants to remind others that his sovereign and providential and loving care is at work within the world. Daniel 2.20 says this, Blessed is the man, excuse me, blessed is the name of God forever and ever. This is Daniel's profession. To whom belong wisdom and might. And then he says this, he changes the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. Blessed is the name of God forever and ever. Again, this is the posture of the believer. We give blessing to the one who is in control of all things. And when adversity in the world reveals man's inability to control that which he thinks he controls, we stand as a beacon. We stand in that moment as an opportunity and we point towards God. And we point towards Jesus Christ, our certainty and our surety the one who holds all things. It's this God who holds the depths of the earth as the psalmist would remind us. Or as Job would confess that he commands the sun and does it, ri- does it not rise 
and he seals up the stars, and who alone stretched out the heavens. This is God who is in control. And we know this, but I'm reminding you of this again today because so many around us do not. This is simple. We speak when the opportunity presents itself. What a better place to be than in the hands of the all-powerful God, right? This is a powerful message of hope that we carry. So adversity results in experiencing a loss of control and the revelation of the one who is ultimately in control. And lastly, I want to say this. Adversity causes fear due to uncertainty. Fear of uncertainty is a natural human response. It's logical. We fear what we don't know and we fear what we can't see. That's a logical human response. However, the hope of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, the final outcome has already been determined. And in addition, when held up in light of the previous truth of God's sovereign care, we understand that as it was said last week, this amazing present comfort in uncertainty is that knowing that God in all things works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So rather than having fear of what is unknown, the believer speaks that there is an ability to be certain in uncertainty, both in future and in present tense. Because God has already determined the outcome. And not only that, but He provides present certainty for us because we know that he is at work in all things to bring about his ultimate perfect plan. So does this then mean that those outside of Christ are destined to live in constant uncertainty? Perhaps, but let me say this, that's not the point. This ought to cause an even greater determination in our own hearts and minds to share the hope of the gospel message with those who are outside of Christ. See, the gospel hope is this. In uncertainty, it's a call to cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 5. There's no fear in life as the psalmist, or as the hymn that we sing. There's no fear in life. There's no power of death because the grace of God commands my life. The present power of God commands my destiny. We don't fear the uncertain. It's the hope of the promise confessed in Psalms 91 that God is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. This is the promise for the uncertain heart, that God is the present refuge and fortress. And what does Matthew say? We know it so well. Jesus, as Matthew records in chapter 6 of Matthew's gospel, that Jesus saying, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So when we're faced with uncertainty, when fear sets in, our hope is that we turn to the certain one of whom there is no changing nor turning for he always remains. He always is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
There is certainty in uncertainty. And that is Jesus the Christ. And as Scripture reveals to us through Him, through Jesus Christ, all of God's promises for those who believe are yes. All of them are sure. All of them will come to pass, which is why we can hold on to texts like 1 Peter 5 and Psalm 91 and, and words of Jesus in Matthew 6 because they will come to pass. God will prove to be faithful. So these are simple truths, you guys. They're simple. I haven't said probably anything this morning that you did not already know, but my hope is that you have been stirred. My hope is that you have been reminded that the ground is fallow and that it's time to sow, that there are many by which need to hear these responses from our lips, not just reflections of our lives. My desire today has been to set our hearts outward, to lift us from looking at ourselves and concern of ourselves. If you're concerned about yourself, I would encourage you, go back and listen to the two weeks, the previous two weeks of teaching. How to stabilize, how to anchor, how to think rightly, how to process what's happening around us. But now, as I said in the beginning, as a leader, what I'm doing is I'm calling you from being filled with faith to being faithful to what God has called us to. Now is the time. Now is the time. Again, it was always meant to be like this. What's our response going to be? Take heart, brothers and sisters, and those of you who do not yet know our great God and King, we are right where God wants us to be. We're right there. And I just want to end again by reading what I began, that you would find comfort and therefore find our mission and be reminded of what we've called, been called to as a church and as believers in Christ Jesus. And I'll read it again, 2 Corinthians chapter Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. May you be comforted so that you may comfort those who are in need today. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you.